You're listening to an Anderson Entertainment production. This episode, we're looking inside our stocking in Fab Facts. Are there two of you listening to our Christmas movie special in The Randomizer? And we're joined by the gifted Beth Chalmers. That's all coming up in Pod 184 of the Very Terry Jerry Anderson Podcast. Jingle, jingle. This is Christmas Control. Stand by. Let's go. Spectrum is green. The Jerry Anderson Podcast with Jamie Anderson and Richard James. Hello! Merry Christmas. Well, not merry. It is, in fact, Terry. Uh, Terry Adlam. Hello. We are normally just, I say just, but rather wonderfully... Me, Jamie Anderson, you, you, Richard James, and him over there, Chris yes. Dale. We'll get on to, to what yes. he's doing in a minute. Hello, but this Chris. week, there he is. we are also joined by Terry Adlam. Terry, who are you and why are you here? Oh, that's a good point. It is a good point. It, it, it's uh, what my wife says quite a lot. Uh, no, I'm <laughs> Terry Adlam, um, and uh, I had the honour of working with Jerry back in the uh, 80s and 90s on Terror Hawks and Dick Spanner and, and some commercials. Mm. And... Uh, uh, I've listened to every single podcast. You it's have me. Have you, it's me. Uh, have you even listened to the ones that you were in? The, uh, I the always interview? listen to them. They're the ones I repeat. <laughs> and uh, also, you know, I follow the you, your all the podstrons on yeah. uh, the uh, Facebook. So yeah. yeah, I feel I feel part of the family. Um, the well. one that you never invite round at any other time apart from Christmas. <laughs> I was going to say that's um, <laughs> suddenly sounding familiar, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, that's about it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oops. But Terry joins us to make this a very Terry Christmas. Uh, It's become a bit of a tradition, much like uh, mince pies and arguments with family members. So, uh, and flatulence. So, thanks, Terry. (laughs) You remind me of all those things. It's beginning to cost a lot like Christmas. (laughs) And you can look forward to many more Christmas themed jokes like that coming on this episode of the Jerry Anderson podcast. (laughs) Now, over there is the randomizer general, the random meister. Yeah. And yes. he, I can see there, is packing our Christmas stockings. He, oh, he is. Look, he's putting a satsuma in yours, Terry. Yeah, I wish you'd wait until I took my leg out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and a walnut and a little chocolate coin. Oh, Getting all the best so exciting, things. Isn't it? Looks like he's stuffing yeah. coal into yeah. mine, so that... Yeah, all you deserve. Thanks, Chris. Anyway, we'll look at those uh, lovely stockings, including Terry's still on stocking later on. Uh, But Mm. Richard James, what what else can we expect from this very Terry Christmas edition of the Jerry Anderson podcast? It may be a very Terry Christmas edition of the Jerry Anderson podcast, but other than that, it's pretty much the same as every other single (laughs) Jerry Anderson podcast you may or may not have listened to over the last three years. So that means... Three years? uh, Yes. Wow. a little later on, we'll be having uh, uh, Chris Dale with his amazing randomizer. We've got some newsy news, 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 because even at Christmas, Terry, there's something new happening in the Jerry Anderson universe. Wow. Uh, so we'll be talking about that a little bit later on. We've got, I think, the first part of my interview with Beth Chalmers. Yes, oh, I can't wait. Beth. Finally, yeah, you've nice. done some work. 
Well, I thought I'd pull my finger out. Uh, she's being our little Christmas elf for the next couple of weeks. So Aww. tonight uh, we'll be, uh, or rather this morning or this afternoon, whenever you're listening what to us. Yeah, uh, we'll be hearing about how she got started as an actor and uh, how she moved into the voice industry and how that differs from what you might consider straight acting, I suppose. And then I think later on next week, uh, we'll be talking a bit more in depth about her experience working on the Terrorhawks audio series. Um, so I've got uh, news, I've got the random yes. ones, I've got the interview. Oh, yeah. yes. Fab facts. Fab facts will be coming up. <laughs> I just love Fab Facts. Oh, it's me. Thank I you. love it. it Thanks, <laughs> Terry. Yeah. That's brilliant. Uh, yes, all those are more. Yes, Fab Facts. Let's hope for a festive Fab Fact. In fact, I've got a little Fab Fact gift for Terry what? coming up here. So, oh. Uh, oh, yeah. I see. Stand by for oh. festive Fab Facts. Let's do it now. Oh. Now. Time for this week's Fab Facts. Yes, it's festive Fab Facts. Well, let's hope for a festive one. I do actually have a yeah. very special Christmas... Christmas? Oh, dear. I have a very Oops. special Christmas section. Uh, yes, which makes that noise in the Fab Facts yeah. book. So this week, we're going to exclusively flick through that section, uh, which will guarantee us a festive Fab Fact. Well, ooh, sort of ooh. festive, vaguely. Uh, and my Christmas present to you, Terry Adlam, is that I am going to let you be the one to say fab, which will stop me flicking through the pages of the Christmas-ish section of <gasps> Fab Facts. Oh, dream come true. Thank God for that. <sighs> dream come true. <laughs> Which I can, uh, but, yeah, dream yeah. come true. I, yeah. I can have a mince pie then. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Okay. Well, Very uh, nice. Then. You've dribbled some. Oh, Stand right. your front. Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> well, while Richard cleans up his dribbly mess, I'm going to flick through the Christmas section of Fab Facts and Terry's going to shout Fab. Terry, are you ready with your Fab? I'm ready with my Fab. Brilliant. Here we go then. Mm. Almost got to no, the end. Gee, there. I would have gone much later. No, uh, yeah, I would. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. lucky you yeah. didn't done it. because we were almost mm. at the back oh. of the Christmas section. In fact, it's See, so far I knew what I was doing. to the back of the Christmas section. I'm not even sure it's that Christmassy. Uh, so, oh. <laughs> without further a festive do, here's your fab facts as uh, your fab fact as chosen by Terry Adlam. Uh, yeah, all right, go on then. Terry and Richard, what is your favourite Anderson-themed Christmas present? Ooh. Ooh. Have you had any? I mean, well, I, I've sent you some. I, don't know. Uh, I sent you some last yeah. week, Richard, didn't I? So I, I know, yeah, yeah. I, I, I know when I was younger, I did have a weird talent. I could I'd identify what was ever wrapped up. Oh yeah, yeah, it's a gift. Yeah. Oh. Right. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, but, uh, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to my. Uh, I'm getting a couple of Space 1999 tops through. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It might go under the tree. Yeah, so that could nice. be your favourite. But what about yours, Postron? Yeah, what was your favourite? Perhaps you were the lucky recipient of a Tracy Island playset in 1992. Or, mm. if you were the cast member of Space 1999, you may have been lucky enough to have received one of two gifts from Barbara Bain and Martin Landau during the holidays of 1974 and 1976. Uh, which hmm. were an address book and an engraved clock, respectively. Oh, classy. I know, very classy presents. Mm -hmm. I must do better. But <laughs> the grand prize for the biggest Jerry Anderson-related Christmas gift was given in December 1964 by none other than Lou Grade himself. Was it a cigar? <laughs> a, a, a bunch of them. No, in fact, mm -hmm. it was over the holiday break that Lou Grade decided to upgrade Thunderbirds from half hour to an hour-long programme. Oh. You might not think it was that much of a Christmas gift, and you could be right. But this meant that some of the crew mm. were away at the time, and Alan Patillo recalled resting with his parents at their home in Scotland when he received the phone call. Guess what? 
we're going to make them into an hour. So while you're up there, start thinking about how you're going to uh, broaden out the scripts to make them longer. Uh, oh. And it was to uh, to help with this mighty task that writer Tony Barwick was first hired, sparking one of the longest collaborations between Dad and any writer. And perhaps then oh. that is one Christmas present we can all be grateful for. Uh, yes. So there you go. Rather a, a light uh, Christmas connection mm. there. But we would love to know well, your yeah. Christmas Anderson memories. Are you going to present me with one now, Richard James? Now, is this your way of telling us, JB, over the, this Christmas break, that the podcast is going to be twice as long when we come back in the new year? <laughs> yes, we're going to a three-hour format, uh, <laughs> twice right, weekly, okay. so stand mm, by for that. Yeah. Problem. I yeah. remember we were doing Dick Spanner. We put together Dick Spanner Christmas card, oh. um, which was nice. Yeah. So everyone got a Christmas uh, Dick Spanner uh, card from me, and also I had one of the... Um, Moulds of Dick Spanner, one of the models, and that was our fairy on top of the Christmas tree for really? many a year. Oh, so, yeah. You don't have it, it now? Still, no. It, it uh, a bit like myself, it fell apart. Oh, um, uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> seen better days, Terry. I think you should it's have seen, said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't be too saying. hard on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Uh, Gosh, well, there you go. That's the, uh, the the Christmassy fab fact for you. So we'd love to yeah. know your Christmas fab fact um, related Anderson Christmas memories. Posterons, do email us podcast at jerryanderson.com. Did you get a Trace Island in 1992 or did you have to make one Blue Peter style? Perhaps you got one of those really lovely Matchbox Marineville play sets. They were oh, rather nice, one of weren't my, they? If I can interrupt, one of, one of my earliest memories of a Christmas present, and I don't know if it was real or if it was a dream, but I was given a box of plasticine that came with the Tracy Brothers moulds. Oh, and you yeah. could sort of like, you push the plasticine in yeah. and it made a mould. And the box was like the uh, opening of the uh, Thunderbird 2 oh, runway. And uh, that's one of my first sort of remember, a present that I've always remembered. Oh, so, yeah, sounds good. A long time ago. Nice. Long time ago. Classic. I think I ate all the plasticine in the end. <laughs> Don't do that, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly a lot is explained. Uh, yeah. Thanks for that, <laughs> Terry. It all falls into place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Well, there you go. Uh, a brief but festive fab fact there. So I think that probably wraps that one up, doesn't it? Do you get the Christmas joke there, yeah. Terry? I think so. Wraps it yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. I like, oh, I like okay. that. Anyway, yeah. that's the end of that one. There we go. Uh, how neatly that arrived. Uh, that's the end of this week's... Christmas fact. fact! Oh dear, that was a right uh, Christmas kerfuffle, wasn't it? I went for it? gift. I went yeah, for Christmas. What did you say, Richard? I went Christmas. Oh, okay. I went Christmas fact. I mean, it's oh, obvious, wasn't it? Was, it? it was just yeah. Terry who ruined it. Uh, yeah, anyway, there we, there we are. Right. Uh, see if <laughs> okay. you, can te- you and Terry can make up for that now in whatever you're going to say next. All right, well, first of all, I'd just like to remind the Podstron at home that they're listening to the Jerry Anderson podcast. It's the only place to come if you want to hear anything at all about Jerry Anderson. Well, I say the only place, it's the only podcast. Yeah. Because you could probably just walk around the corner and see your mate and That's talk true. about all things Jerry Anderson, yeah, yeah, but you anytime. can't do it on any other podcast. So you can subscribe to us on whichever platform you're listening to us on, don't forget. And also you can leave us a nice review and a rating uh, to let us know what you think. And as if all that wasn't enough, you can also copy the link and share it on all your socials so your friends can see what you're listening to. Now, I, I did try and do that the yes, other day, did you? but it, it didn't work. Apparently, oh. 
uh, Slough Station platform doesn't, oh, doesn't help. right, yeah. No, I think you may have misunderstood. The, uh, anyway, oh, right. okay. uh, so, of course, our podstrons have been in touch. Uh, they've emailed it. us in at podcast at jerryanderson.com. For example, Craig says, I've no idea how to tweet things, really, so I'm not sure if what I did worked. So Craig's obviously been uh, quite uh, busy on Twitter and hashtagging us Jerry Anderson Podcast. But he says, so as promised, attached are some photos of my completed Thunderbird 1 pilot seat chair, should they be of interest to you. Mm. I managed to get Scott in on one as well. Thanks, as always, for all you do. Kind regards, and have a good Christmas from Craig. And, uh, yeah, he sent us some lovely photos. Did you have a look at those, Jamie? They are amazing. Yeah, I did actually. I I tweeted out. It's a fantastic thing. I kind of want to sit in it, really. I know. That's on my Christmas list, I tell you. Phil Steer has been in touch. I recognise that name. Yes, well, he would do. He says, oh, my, yeah. Uh, Once again, I find myself feeling honoured, amused and embarrassed in equal measure as the Jerry Anderson podcast briefly becomes the Phil Steer podcast. There must be so many podstrons, quite uh, rightly, wondering who on earth is this Phil Steer person? But he's a legend. He is. He gave me a good laugh and thank you for reading out my emails. He says, I'm not expecting this to be read out. Oh, Oh. Oh, oh, you're not well, going I mean, to be down well, I'll, feels, I'll carry feels, on now. I mean, I'm so yeah. far in. Uh, it says, anyway, changing the subject completely, I thought, Richard, you might appreciate this photo from Google Street View of a road not far from my home in Romford and also, incidentally, the location of my wedding reception venue over 30 years ago, Gubbins Lane. Oh, oh Gubbins I indeed. I said that for a while, have I? Excellent. There you go. Thank you, Phil. Is that nice from to... Phil Steele? That's Phil Steele. Phil Steele with Steel. all the Gubbins. Phil Steele. Yeah. Hashtag yeah. Phil Steele. Uh, Robert Sharp says, Hi, Jamie and Richard. Now, this goes back a few weeks. We were talking in Fab Facts about the uh, the airplane that was booked by the police for flying underneath the bridge on the M40, yeah. if you remember that, during uh, Thunderbirds filming, I think. Robert Sharp says, Hi, Jamie and Richard. It may surprise you to know that there are, in fact, two bridges used in the sequence of the Tiger Moth. Ooh. M40 Junctions 4 and 5. Junction 5 was the one that was overflown and can easily be identified by the oddly curved exit road that leads up to Ibstone Road, the name of the bridge that goes over the motorway. Uh, on the other side of the road is a dirt track leading down to a farm. Now, says Robert, whilst the farm has gone and the site is now a business park, the track is there, as is the road configuration. I'd also draw your attention to the fact that Junction 5's bridge has a straight wall to support it. Junction 4, the one that was flown under, has a slatted type of support and is in fact only a few seconds away from the airfield, then known as Booker Airfield and now Wickham Air Park, in which the pilot went for the uh, stunt filming. And I'm including some pictures for your interest. Regards, Robert Sharp. Wow. Oh, thanks. So now you do. I'll have to look out for that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And now, Jamie, you've upset uh, Paul Hyder, of course. Oh, Jamie. Oh, I know. I know. I confuse him with someone else. Mm. Mm. Now, uh, Paul Hyder says, Hi, Jamie. It was a real surprise to get a name check in your interview with Ben Field. Unfortunately, I'm a China resident, not Japan. How am I supposed to get a look at next year's documentary, by the way? Uh, Keep up the top podding, guys, for Paul Hyder in China. Oh. Yeah, Care to I should just yourself, need, Mr. A? I just need to remember that it's China with a cold sounds a bit like Hyder without one. So yes, Paul Hyder exactly. is China. Paul Hyder from China. That's right. I yeah. do like the keep up the top podding because we could say this is a Christmas podding. It's a Christmas oh, podding. Oh, I'm not a massive fan of of Christmas podding. What? Yeah, I don't yeah, like the flavour. Really? No. Oh, well, it's always better. Rather like the podcast a couple of days later. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Especially the repeats. Yeah. Now, Excuse me. Yeah, yes. Mm. Jamie, I, 
You see, the trouble is we talk such nonsense, don't we, that I can never really yes. remember what we've said over the past few weeks. So nope, could you explain me. to me why I've suddenly got a load of emails and jokes about soup? Um, yes, I think I suggested mm. that people should probably write in their soup yeah. puns. Yeah, well, mm. they have, of oh course. Oh dear, I'm so sorry. Yeah, <laughs> in hindsight, it might have been better to do something else. <laughs> Other soups are available. Um, nice. Uh, so again, Paul Hyder emailed from China. Uh, with his excellent. top Anderson soups, uh, the mighty a tomato soup. Oh, oh, they're this sort of the pun, are they? Oh yeah, dear. Yeah. Well, is that what were you after? I, I, I don't know. I, I wasn't no. expecting anybody to email in with these. Well, so it's there's, the there's more later. But for now, he also says the the cham cham clam chowder, <laughs> uh, the perils of Lady Penelope soup. Ooh. Yeah. Anyway, he says Merry Christmas. That's from Paul again in China. And finally, I've got a couple of Christmassy questions here. Oh dear. From another Terry who yep. emailed us in with these jokes, but I don't know the answers yet. Okay. He hasn't furnished us with the answers. Right. But the questions are: When is a boat like snow? Is it when it's adrift? Oh. oh. I don't know. I'm, no. guessing. I'm guessing. Oh, I like that. I hope so. This is and the, the this one, is the man to answer them. We've we've nailed it. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And the second one: What kind of bike does Santa Claus ride? Oh, I don't know. No, no, no. no. Not no. On the sure about that no. one. Could okay. Be, uh, no, not no. sure on that one. No. Okay. Well, there we are. So, uh, Terry, do email again again with the answers, and we'll, we'll read them out in the new year. Yeah. yeah. We have well, to wait we, a couple of weeks. We're fifty percent there, though, thanks to Terry yeah. and his his genius yeah. uh, sort of Poirot level joke analysis. <laughs> so yeah, it's impressive. Yeah. Good, impressive good. stuff, Terry. Thanks for that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, well, uh, all for now. But we'll, uh, we'll have more emails next time. Just send them into podcast at jerryanderson.com and you know. I'll read them out. Please do that. We'd like yeah. that. And now, while Terry rests his brain after working Sorry, out I've that just, adrift I've just thing. had a thought. Oh, oh yes. I've just had a thought about yeah. the bike. Yes. Would it be a Holly Davison? Oh. oh. He is good, isn't he? Oh. Just thinking. Just thinking. You that. should write for the TV, yeah. Terry. You should write for TV. I, I, yeah. You should tell these <laughs> jokes professionally. Uh, yeah. <laughs> rather, rather than unpaid on a podcast. Sorry, <laughs> Tell. Uh, right, anyway, that's amazing. There you go. All solved. Who, who mm. needs a detective when you've got Terry Adam? Uh, exactly. I've got some Jerry Anderson news. Would you like some? <gasps> yes, yes, please. Good, because you're getting it whether you like it or not. I'm sure Terry would like to join in for this. It's the Jerry Anderson news. Oh, always better with three. That's lovely. Always. Uh, Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, we must look forward to that. Okay. So it's Christmas week. There's not too much news. We can have a nice, gentle one. If you've ordered bits and pieces like the UFO book or the Moonbase Alpha manual or your calendar or your Christmas jumper, they should all be on the way. It's definitely now too late for us to guarantee Christmas delivery. If you are in the UK and you order stuff maybe Monday the 20th, then Terry will be round uh, uh, immediately with your gifts, all pre-wrapped. No, I can't guarantee that either. Uh, But uh, yes, you you may still have a chance the first couple of days this week, but things are going to be a bit crazy shipping-wise, I think. Uh, If you are looking for a last-minute thing, then a gift card is a great way to go from the Jerry Anderson store, shop.jerryanderson.com. Can you hear little Betty in the background barking? Yes, hi, Betty. Betty. Yeah, she's feeling very Christmassy. Oh, isn't that lovely? Uh, Now... 
Just the Herald Angels sing. Oh, 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 we definitely set that one up, didn't we, Tell? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Good one, that one. Please bring in some more dog festive jokes uh, by the end of this newscast. <laughs> uh, now, uh, everyone deserves a break Dutch Christmas. Dutch out through the snow. <laughs> oh, sorry, I'll, I'll be quiet. I'll, be, I'll behave. Everyone except Terry Adlam deserves a break this Christmas. Uh, so... For the following dates, our customer service and store team will be away from their desks. 24th to the 28th of December, closed. Mm-hmm. 29th to the 30th of December, limited availability. 31st of December to the 3rd of January, closed. Drunk. In that time, drunk, <laughs> yes, and then hangover from the 2nd to the 3rd. Uh, so all of the tickets that you send in that period will build up and will be answered in the order in which they arrived from the 4th onwards when we will return to normal hours. So there's your public service announcement in terms of uh, customer support, etc. for the store. And finally, as usual, I'm asking you to join in with our annual hashtag cheers Jerry Anderson celebration. Uh, obviously, Dad passed away on Boxing Day 2012. And so every Boxing Day, in his memory, we like to see social media awash with happy memories of all things Anderson, photos from your childhood, favourite episodes, favourite shows when you first saw a, a series, how somehow a Jerry Anderson show created a friendship or a relationship or a marriage for you, all that sort of stuff. Anything happy and positive related to anything Anderson, we would love to see your memories across social media, all platforms, with the hashtag CheersJerryAnderson. Um, nice. Please do share that uh, on the day and, and raise a toast to the late man, uh, to the late great man, I should say. We'd really, really appreciate it. So, thank you all. That is all I have for this week's Jerry Anderson News. Take it away, Terry. That was the news. That was the news. That was the news. Oh, hang on. Well, I thank you. Oh, wow. He riffed a bit, isn't he? he? Yeah, nice. (laughs) Can can you you, you pop in every week and do that, Terry? Would that be all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just give us a call. Okay, Ah, brilliant. I see. Okay. Um, I'm being eased out a bit. No, absolutely not, Richard. It's it's just giving you a little bit of a break, resting your voice. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, don't mind that. Now, over on our Facebook group, I don't know, are you a member on Facebook? Uh, I am, And yes. are you a member of the Podstrong's Facebook group? I am, yeah. Excellent. And if you at home want to uh, find a place where you are not judged for your passions and interests, where you are welcomed with opened arms and where you are treated with respect and supported, particularly over the difficult months that we've had, then why don't you pop on over to the Podstrong's Facebook group as well? For example, David Driver posted, oh, here we go, uh, here's a starter for the uh, for the soup game. So he's suggesting Fireball Oxtail 5. Nice. <laughs> Croutons to Crime. Oh, <laughs> competition here. <laughs> Captain Scarlet and the Minestrone. Oh, lovely. Yeah, OK. Uh, anyway, he says, please add more. It's taken me all day to get these three. <laughs> oh, bless. Thank you. So that's uh, that's actually pretty good, really, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. yeah but someone good. really stepped up to the plate, of course. Oh, is it Simon, Simon Allen? Allen? Oh, yeah. Simon. Of course yeah. it was. Sent us a fantastic email of soups. Now, this might be more to your taste, Jamie. Might I tempt you with the Space Precinct soup? Uh, a soup full of funny-looking objects with the smell of a half-eaten tuna sandwich. <laughs> Delicious. Or how about the UFO soup? Offal set in a rich green liquid, compliments with a can of Foster's. <laughs> Nice. That uh, does sound awful. Yeah, it does yeah. sound awful. Uh, the Joe 90 soup, of course. Obviously, this is Jamie's favourite, but its contents may change from day to day, and it's eaten before a big portion of Big Ratatouille. Yeah, clever. Nice. You nice. see? Nice. I know. Push the boat out. Twizzle soup. A weak soup with most of its ingredients missing. 
<laughs> Torchy soup, great at Halloween as it glows in the dark. Or supercar soup, a banana soup created for Mitch. Oh. <laughs> Delicious, can't wait anyway, to eat that. I know, there's plenty more of those a little later on. I mean, you sent about 20, so I'm going to wow. save them and uh, dip back in a little later on. While we're on our Facebook group, though, I did uh, post that we were having a, a very merry Terry Christmas again for the podcast and asked any podsterons uh, if they had a, a word or two for Terry. Uh, Jeff Tilly says, uh, let Terry know that I love his comedy. I'd say it's wonderful as a compliment to the gagmeister himself. Well, thank you, Jeff. That's very kind of you. It's nice. Very kind of you. Now, Earl Black says, I'll never forget his Lego truck accident joke. Lol. I think I have. <laughs> oh, I'll have to, I'll have to go... Have a look around for that one. I'll see if I get back to you by the end of the yes, <laughs> right. by the end of the uh, <laughs> podcast. Hell on that one. Uh, Simon Allen again says, "Well, we'll probably get an offering from that Anglo-Spanish chef, Gaz Pacho. It's another soup. Uh, soup yeah, yeah. Uh, he also says, uh, "How many cubes does it take to screw in a light bulb? It doesn't matter as they've got no hands. Yeah. How many Tracy Fair. brothers does it take to screw in a light bulb? No idea. Five. Four, oh, three, yes, of two. Oh. Of course. Oh, uh, nice. He says, we used to play a game at work called pun tennis uh, with my manager, and it's where the chap opposite and myself would trade puns back and forth. Sounds like fun. I do that with uh, AC. And <laughs> whenever I talk to, you know, I think you all know uh, yeah, AC, Andrew Clements, yeah. we always end up doing that. On the, We pick a subject and we just bounce them backwards of and forwards. Of course forward. you do. Of course you do. Steve Bushell says, I think Terry is an amazing chap who's truly outstanding. I know flat Terry will get me nowhere. But keep going. Oh. I appreciate this was terrible. Oh, yeah, I'm oh. loving these. Uh, but then yeah. a bit of work, please. It's okay, I'll throw in the toweling now. Oh, Terry toweling. Very good. Very <laughs> um, good. Uh, Willow, on other matters, posted, well, apparently wearing a Thunderbird's Christmas jumper is the universal sign you'll help anyone. If the lady in home base that just asked me where their three pin plugs are is any indication. Sorry, lady, I don't work here. I was just using the Amazon locker. <laughs> OK, thanks, Willow. Uh, Heather says, I had a dream last night about Joe 90, of all things. Oh, dear. Uh -oh. Poor thing. Yes, Heather says, it turns out he's a long-lost twin sister who teams up with him to steal plans for another super fighter jet prototype. Oh. Could be a sequel in the making. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. And I've got a song here, but I'm, I'm reluctant to sing it. I mean, should I, do you think? Oh, I think you definitely should. Yeah, this yeah, is from, go for it. Yeah. yeah, definitely. All right, well, this is from uh, Dean Harrison, who says, uh, Last Christmas, my car wouldn't start, so the very next day, Torchy took it away. This year, to save me from tears, my battery is much, much better. There we are. Never thought I'd see or hear the day. And uh here's a couple for you. I mean, this is from Tom Hodden who says, right. What's brown and sticky? Uh a, a stick. Yeah, and what's black and white and red all over? Uh a newspaper. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Or a, a zebra with nappy rash. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> Something yeah. falling down a hill. Anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> nice. There we go. Uh a little <sighs> later on we'll be diving into Twitter and uh seeing what people have been saying about us there. I do like a good dive into Twitter. I had heard. Yeah. Can't wait for that. Does that mean it's time for your gift to me? Ah. Oh. Well, it I could be. I don't know Secret Santa. No, so no, no. I, I've got something very special for you this year, Jamie. Have you? It's something I've been preparing for for probably about two years. Yes. It's nicely wrapped. This sounds very special. Uh, it would fit under a tree. Oh, Great. And it's provided voices for Kate Kestrel oh. in Terror Hawks. Oh. Yeah. Well, that could be two people. Uh, but I, It I narrows it down slightly, <laughs> doesn't I, it? I suspect it's not one of them. So Quite right. Go on, let me know well, who it is. 
it's time for me to present to you and the nation the first part of my interview with the lovely Ooh. Beth Chalmers, oh. who you will know as Anderson fans, as the voice of Kate Kester, and I suspect a few other parts and in sister. the uh, Terror Hawks. Yeah, sister yeah. in the uh, Terror Hawks yeah. audio series, as well as uh, many other projects and uh, TV shows and uh, video games and all sorts. So uh, I managed to grab a, a couple of. Uh, uh, half-hour sessions with her a little while ago for a quick chat, and here's the first part of that now. Cool. Now, Beth Chalmers, so much work, ubiquitous uh, in the realms of, <laughs> of, of Big Finish and other uh, audio production companies that you've narrated audiobooks, you've provided uh, voices for video games like uh, Mass Effect, the Crisis series, uh, all this alongside TV appearances in shows like Broken News, Lenny Henry Show, Apple Tree Yard. So people would almost certainly have seen you in something, and if they haven't, they would definitely have heard you in something. Oh, I sound relentless. But yes, they well they would um well if they have if they've watched something and then nipped out to get a cup of tea, they yes. may have missed me. So I, I, I've dropped into a lot of things. Um, I think Broken News is the one where I couldn't even uh, put it on my showreel because it, it was so. Good. But the whole yes. style of Broken News really was just was flashes. Um, so uh, so yeah yeah I've I've probably heard me more than they will have seen me. So do you consider yourself, uh, I know there's so much more to your career that will, will come on later, but do you consider yourself a voice actor specifically or an actor? I would like to consider myself an actor. Yeah. I consider myself an actor. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Most of, um, a large percentage of my acting work is voice. Yeah. But I, uh, I don't like to pigeonhole myself. No, quite right. Uh, no. So, uh, so yeah, I would just say I'm an actor. And, and uh, cartoons and audiobooks are still being an actor. Absolutely. And is that, is that fun, voice work? Yes. Oh, it's so much fun. It's a little bit less fun now we're all in our basements uh, yeah. alone because there's so, because even though you're doing voice work and it's you and the microphone, you are acting with everybody else. And when mm. you are in the room, in Moat Studios, let's say, even though everyone is in different booths, you can see everybody and you're bouncing off everybody and you're, you know, basically acting, you're listening and responding. And it, that's when it's alive. That's when, that's when it's exciting. It's really exciting. And it's still hey, exciting to do it, to read great scripts and to be as creative as you can and stick your own take on things and mess mm. about with it and, and throw everything you've got at it. It's, would you it's say, a lot of fun. Would you say there's more leeway, in a sense, with, with voice work to, to bring your own thoughts and ideas to characterization than there is in perhaps other areas of acting? In my experience, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, I've, like I say, I've been the smaller parts with my um, Envision acting. Uh, <laughs> and I suppose I'm, it's, I am, I have to stand everywhere in relation to other people. I must, mm. uh, you know, speak in relation to other people. So I mustn't tread on them. You're, you're sort of dancing around other people more. I think there's more leeway to be creative in voice stuff. I mean, when you're when you're acting on film, the writer rarely rushes in and says, "Can you stop? C can you not do that?" Um, yeah. <laughs> even though they might like to. But yes. I think I think in, I think when you're doing stuff vocally, it's more collaborative. I mean, I cartoons is the one thing I can think of where you really want to mess around with the cartoons, mm. and and you can try loads and loads of takes of different lines. You you can you've got more time. So you can really be brave. Whereas on a film, I think they're up against it. Time is really money and they, they're going to give you two goes. And mm. if you are messing around with something that doesn't work, but that's the take they use because it's the only one where the plane didn't fly over the top. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Kind of had it. But I think voice work, you can, uh, you can get it wrong more, which means you can take more risks and 
be more exciting. And that's you know, that is where the fun is. Uh, and now that intrigues me. Uh, you mentioned cartoons there, and you've also done a lot of work in, in video games. Uh, but yeah. I'm guessing that's not to a picture, though. Is that right? You provide the voice, and then they provide the visuals later, or how does that work? It really changes. It's the best thing in the world, which I have done, which is when you get the scripts and you do whatever you like. And you have mm. to, the good thing about that is you have to give them stuff to animate. So if you've got, if you've got a speech with three sentences in it, you've got to make sure that you're kind of going, hey, high energy, high energy, and then hmm, think. And then and imagine they're kind of painting eyebrows going up and, and, and it's got to be, everything's got to be massively energized, even when they're being, when you're being someone who's bored. Yeah. You've got to be bored with a really, uh, whatever. You've got to give them something. <laughs> you always think you've got to give them something to animate. But that makes you, that makes you just throw loads of light and shade and creativity and variation at it. It makes you do that. But uh, a lot of it is stuff that was maybe already made in France and we're uh, revisiting over here. So the picture's already there. Yeah. Sometimes the animators, it takes so long to animate. They like to get ahead of the game and they're doing, I'm doing something at the moment. And what they do is they, they draw it all in um, animatics, just real like, kind of outlines. And then they voice it in French. Oh, right. to, to time it and when they're <laughs> timing it in french the french they they can say what we would say in 30 words they can say in three words and they can <laughs> yes. say it faster and so suddenly I, I, they'll write a speech because it'll be sort of translated and then you think there's no way i can do it three seconds it's taking me nine seconds and i'm going like the clappers this is nuts <laughs> so there's a lot of lots of frustrated rewriting a lot of times when i because it's really good scripts i got mm. them and i thought oh i can't wait i can't mm. wait to go nuts with this but you're slightly restricted. Ah, um, yeah. Uh, that one. And like, and then, yeah, things like Mike the Knight, every sigh is, they wouldn't ah, speak sigh because it's, it's much more right. crafted. It's not as it, it wasn't, didn't go for the humor so much. When you go for the humor, you want to mess around with it. Yeah. But Mike the Knight was very, very crafted. So, uh, and does it work in sort of much the same way as, as any other acting role? You, you, you audition, you meet a, the director, you, you have a chat. How does that work? Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, in the olden days, yes. So you'd, you'd go in there and you'd you'd audition and you'd mm. mess around with the director and the clients would be there. Ah. And uh, and then you might recall. Yeah, then you just back go back and recall. And now, I mean, sometimes I'm auditioning for cartoons. This last one I'm doing, three, four auditions. Wow, really? And, but they, but they were never in them. That's what was really hard with this one. They sent the script and a little blurb, and they yes. said, "Oh yes, we're looking at you for this character." Sent the script a little blurb, sent the third one and said, we're still trying to find this element. Could Beth try to do this? And, and you think, oh, I'd really, really like to to work with you because uh, all you need to do is say to me, go left a bit, right a bit. Yes. Louder. Stop doing that annoying thing with your voice. And, and you think, <laughs> oh, well, all right then. And it makes all the difference. But you are, with the, with the auditions for cartoons at the moment, you're shooting in the dark. Right. You, just, you have to yeah. just pick something and do it. And, yeah. And yeah. they might, mm, yeah, it's a yeah. tough one. Uh, and audiobooks, in my sort of imagination, that's quite a lonely job to get. It's just you and perhaps an engineer in a in a studio yeah. somewhere plowing through a book. Is that yeah. is that roughly yeah. it? <laughs> well, it really is. And it's it's every single audiobook, I think. I start off and I sit down, and I think this is gonna be the best audiobook where where I I get every voice nailed and yeah. I flow beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow it lasts for a chapter. I think, yeah, this is, I'm really engaging with this. And then somehow your brain, your brain <laughs> just separates from your voice. And you right. think, oh, I don't know what I've been saying. And you think, oh, I think I'll slightly phone that in, but I can't really go back on that. Yeah. And oh, I, I wish I hadn't chosen this voice because it's actually really grating on me now. Oh, why did I go knit? And ah, so 
yeah so I, I like doing them because there was there's always a chance of a fresh start and doing the perfect audiobook well um, I mean it strikes me but Beth, it is that, a lonely you might be your own worst critic is that the case if only. <laughs> <laughs> there can't be others, surely. I, I've made that mistake of clicking on Audible and thinking, oh, no, right. she, there's a lot of nice reviews, but it takes one person to go, oh, yeah. oh, that yes, voice. Yes. You think, oh, oh, no. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I'd like to say I'm up there with my worst critics, but <laughs> sadly, I'm not the worst. <laughs> um, so, well, let's go back, Beth. Let's go back to where it all began. Where were you brought up and what kind of things influenced you as a kid? What were you watching and reading or uh, or listening to as you grew up? I was, I was born in Surrey and then moved to Hampshire. It's a very sort of a bland home county story. I'd love to make it more colourful than that. <laughs> and I, I, we were, I, I never read. I never uh-huh. read, which mm. I don't know why. We, we, we had horses and we were always outside and farming. It was all farming. And, mm. And I used to go for rides with my sister. And you're going on a ride on a horse for, I don't know, a couple of hours. or If you have to ride a few a day because we had other people's in. You you talk in silly voices, basically. Right. <laughs> and my sister was really good at accents. And she's also a very good singer. So she would make me, I was the younger sister. So she'd go, no, I'm singing this bit and you sing that bit. Sing this. And she'd teach it to me. And I'd say I had the one line and like endless <laughs> love. We used to just sing endless right. love. Great. Oh, just things like that. And um, I mean, I'm not a great singer. And then she would also just, we'd just speak in a Brahmi accent for a while for no reason. I mean, what we thought was. And then, and then Scottish. And it was just a way of, so we, yeah, that's, that's what I remember doing. But as for mm. watching stuff, it was very much watching stuff that my dad watched. It was all things like, you know, Minder. <laughs> um, right. I used, to like the, I used to love the 80s. I'm a big 80s film. Ah, uh, yes. And when I'm writing, everything comes back to an 80s film. And my writing partner is always just saying, please, please. I know it's a little bit like Karate Kid. It's like that yeah. bit in um, whatever. But stop it. Stop Can it. Can we not stop. have George Peppard in it, please? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, I was influenced by 80s films. I watched a lot of 80s films. And, you know, like I say, the A-Team and Con Air and American Ninja. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what, what were your, your school days like? Were you, uh, were you happy to show off your, your newfound vocal talents in the classroom? I didn't. Yeah, I like the sound of my own voice, I think. That's what the teachers might have said. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I loved school. I loved it. I was at boarding school. It was great. And I had a school mm-hmm. reunion recently and I went back and I thought, no wonder. They're what an amazing bunch of women. They're just, I was so, so lucky. Yeah. I was at school with the, the nicest people. So, yeah, I, I, I was quite chatty at school and I loved French. I loved, I loved French or I loved, I loved just speaking it. Mm. So anything to, that, that I could mess around with. And, and I did a play or a couple of plays at school. I didn't get, I didn't get to do it in Bugsy Malone and that hurt. I that, can tell. That really hurt. That, yeah. I got Luella, which I think might have been something that's made up. Right. It's Danny Dan's girlfriend. And frankly, she has one line and I, I won't go into it, but I, mm-hmm. I would have been a great Tallulah. Yes. I think I may have missed my uh, missed my chance. Uh, there's time. Never say, never say never. Say <laughs> never. <laughs> and then I did time in the comp. The only, I did speech and drama lessons and stuff at school where you little private speech and drama exams, which I loved. And then I did time in the Conway's. I played Kay Conway. And the awful thing is, the embarrassing thing is, oh, my poor English teacher. I mean, she was great. I mean, this is when they say acting is about living and going moment to moment. Mm. I'm not the brightest tool and I don't work that hard. So it's not a surprise that I, I turned up to every rehearsal and I committed to every scene I was in and I learned my lines. And I was, uh, but I never really read the whole play. 
I never right. really knew what was going on. I never yeah. knew what was going on. Only <laughs> afterwards did I realize that act two was my vision. I knew I ended act one looking out the window. <laughs> and I knew I started act three looking out the window. And I had different clothes in the middle. I knew it was a time jump. But I never realized that act three is me going, oh, my God, I've just seen the future. We need to change it. <laughs> That's but, great. I think, but I think it helped me just be in the present. I wasn't playing anything apart from yeah. the moment. Hmm. And uh, my father still thinks it's the best thing I've ever done, which just is such a sad oh that's fantastic oh that's sweet but it's sort of yeah I think it's made me think sometimes just be in the moment so when I went to drama school and they Mm. say oh what did you have for breakfast let's hot seat your character let's Mm. you know where were you born sometimes just don't when the character it's that it's the um oh Meisner yeah that Mm -hmm. just play a person in a given set of circumstances and be truthful yeah and that's what I was doing without realizing it I was doing it through yes Laziness and idiocy, <laughs> rather than yeah, through that's right. a craft. Well, let's call it uh, untaught competence, shall we? <laughs> or just raw talent. Uh, raw talent, that'll do. Yeah. I'll take it further. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, and and throughout those experiences, then in those various plays and coming up with these funny voices, do you remember the moment where you thought you might perhaps make a living from it? Crikey. I rem- when I went to university, my mum said it's horses or acting because oh, right. I couldn't keep a horse. And that I was not, if I was going to spend a lot of time going away, and I made the choice of acting. Hmm. So I don't know if, I, if that's because I had a belief I was going to make a living from it, or mm-hmm. whether I was just hopeful and a bit sort of had that sort of, you know, always the entitled people have a kind of. Uh, uh, oh, it'll be fine. It'll yes, be fine. Which I can I, do this. Yeah, it'll work <laughs> out. And you know, luckily, it, it sort of did. But um, yeah, yeah. So I, I made that choice, and then and then I went to university, and I did Footlights, mm. and I did uh, lots of voices, and I loved all that. It's just loads and loads of voices. So it's a sketch show. So and I did the tour with David Mitchell and Matthew Holness and Rob Webb and mm-hmm. uh, Lucy Montgomery and Leela Hackett and you know, great great people who've all carried on in the in the industry. To varying degrees and when I did that I did loads of different voices and then an agent Christian Hodel who is a huge uh, acting agent rang me but he didn't ring me to say I want to take you on as an actor right. he rang me at home and this is just a bit weird I was at university and, and he said I want to recommend you to a voiceover agent and I thought oh okay great and he gave me the number of this voiceover agent I rang her and she went get a tape made I was a student mm. yeah. I hadn't got any money yeah. At all. And my mum said, okay, I'll lend you the money to make a tape and you're only allowed to pay it back with the money you make doing voiceovers if it works. Right. Which I thought was very yes. lovely of her. So I did that. I made the tape and I sent it off to this woman and she went, oh, sorry, darling, my books are closed. I mm. thought, oh my God, so you've just gone to a student and said spend some money. What do you do? I mean, I'd <laughs> sat with the bank, man- bank manager, I think the term before, and he'd given me 20 pounds so that I could get right. a train ticket home because I didn't right. have any in my bank account. Wow. I was saying, I can't get home. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a bit rich yeah. doing that. But then, so I then had to, I sat in Waterstones and I went through the contacts book and I sent it off to two other people and one of them took me on. Uh-huh. And yeah, I, but so, it, yeah, it started a very lucky ball rolling. And uh, so the, the, there was a moment where you thought, well, that, maybe you know that voice work is going to perhaps provide me with with the bulk of my work yeah yeah i and, think so it was the first thing i did so yeah the first thing i earned money at yeah hmm. yeah i did i did uh laboratoire Ghani. it was the first advert i got within right. 
a month of getting an agent, I remember thinking, I'm going to be loaded. It turns out that was, it turns out it started very well and unrealistically. <laughs> yeah. so, okay. so can, can I didn't you, keep up like that. Can you remember your, your dialogue from the, uh, from the commercial? <laughs> Laboratoire Garnier creates Synergy Vitamin Radiance, first daily moisturizing shampoo with natural something and gentle fruit AHAs. Oh my God, I only want <laughs> to say something. That's very good. Yeah. <laughs> How long ago? <laughs> this is it was in 1997 well for, well done great uh oh. so when did you first come across big finish where where you're sort of uh as i said I, earlier ubiquitous oh thanks very much um i was working with peter davison on a radio four thing called rigor mortis i think mm-hmm. it was that and um love peter davison mm. and he big finish were casting for that series, Graceless, with uh, Laura yeah. Doddington and Kira, mm-hmm. Kira, Kira, Kira. Thing. Uh, so just was ridiculously beautiful, Kira. And uh, anyway, and, and they were it ended up with those two. But I auditioned for that, oh. and um, and they said, "You're not right for this." I think that was too old <laughs> for audio. And I know <laughs> I, I, I do sound a little bit uh, sometimes mature, mm-hmm. and. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so, but then they remembered me and they got me back to do some stuff. And then I was boxing at the time and I was fighting. So, yes. No, I, well, me as I, I, like that. Hang on, hang on. You oh, can't just sorry. throw that in. So, oh, sorry. Tell, tell us a little bit about the boxing, Beth. Oh, just one of those things. I I did some presenting. Oh, well, she's just not my bag. I'm just terrible at it. And I did <laughs> just do self obsessed, just turn around and talk about me. And I, I was doing some presenting, and, and this guy said, We want to do an InVision program. Oh, God. It's like a reality show where you people do um, race cars. And, uh, and I would, I would uh, go around the track with Damon Hill. He would talk me around the track. Yeah. And then the contestant would come in and they'd race each other. And mm-hmm. it was. And then several gets get knocked out every thing. So whoever, and they're all taught to to be a race driver. And I was supposed to, when they got knocked out, basically say, "Oh, but you're so good, you're so amazing." Just make them cry and be sad about it. And go, <laughs> yeah. Oh, but you were doing this for your mum, weren't you, or something? <laughs> and um, and then and I said, "You want me to?" And they said, "Yeah." And you'd be wearing racing overalls. So on television, you want me racing overalls, and all in one, the most unflattering thing you could possibly wear. I'm <laughs> yeah. five foot four, and I'm not <laughs> so tiny. And I just thought, "Oh, this is going to be awful." And they said. How will we make you feel better about wearing racing overalls? And I said, well, get me a personal trainer. And they did. Oh, okay. So, yeah. And it was, they just sort of said they'd do it for a while. And then I'm, so when I got to personal training, of course, what everyone says is when he said, what do you want to do? I said, well, I've always fancied being Lara Croft. So, I, I, you know, teach me to kind of do martial arts or whatever. And he said, hmm. well, I'm a boxer, so I can teach you that. I was like, all right. Yeah, and then okay. years later, so I, I did that with him and then I, had two different trainers and somehow each trainer it got a bit more serious it's like they'd forgotten we'd all forgotten why I started doing it which is just to be able to wear the racing ovals and that show just fell apart anyway so so I was sort of got into it it's steamrolled and then I went on a boxing camp in Barcelona and then he stuck me in a ring and I thought that was better than I thought and then I just had that weird thing of going I wonder if I can do it. I wonder if I can stand in the ring when they go ding 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 and it's a bit like saying, "Can I jump out of an airplane?" And I did yeah. that just to know if I. It's, you do these things to think. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder where my boundary is. That's right. So yeah. I just I thought, I wonder if I can do this. And yes, yeah, so I did do it, and it was great. It was dark. It was. It was. I'm glad I did it. I mean, right. you know, my yeah, yeah. Hmm. My my neck's not thrilled that I did it. Ah, so, you, know, you, you bear the scars. My car is always a gamble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, but uh, so I I. I did that. Sorry, I can't remember where I was uh, 
waffling on about that. But so I was doing a fight. That's it. While um, while I was working for Big Finish, and then so they that's how they thought of me. Ah. And then they had to cast Rain Creevy, mm-hmm. who was a bit of an ass kicking kind of um character. And yeah. So they thought well she she was posh and ass kicking. Yeah. And they went. I, I think I think it might be you. And ah. I, thought, oh, I love that. So uh, so yeah. Now the, so, so this was with, a, with a companion to Sylvester McCoy. Is that right? The Seventh yeah. Doctor. Yeah. Interestingly, I did see a little t- a, a tidbit of information that, that apparently you have played four mothers, or the the mothers to four different Doctor Who companions. Oh, I think I, I think I, I think I probably have. Uh, that's Melanie Bush, uh, Bonnie Langford, and Ace. Uh, oh yes, Sophie Aldridge. I definitely played my own. I played my own. Yes, you did. As well. Yeah, yeah, Rain. Yeah, and uh, and Molly, Molly O'Sullivan's mother as, as well, who I think was a oh, wow. a Paul McGann. Oh, oh what a lovely lady she is! Yes, mm. yes. So, so uh, thank you to to Beth Chalmers, who you can find on Twitter at at Chalmers Beth. That's mm. Chalmers, C-H-A-L-M-E-R-S, at Chalmers Beth. And she's on Instagram as well, beth.chalmers.1. Ooh, That's lots of second part of that there. interview next week. Yeah. Well, yeah. I look forward to that. Yeah. Terry, you met Beth quite a few times when we were doing Terrell's audios. You know, what are your yeah, uh, yeah. memories, of, memories lo- of her? Lovely lady. Uh, and also, she, she got the voices perfect. You know, it mm. was like... Um, just being back there again yeah. years ago. Mark no, Anne Riddler returned... Uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, lovely ladies of boot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So she had great fun. She really sort of blended well with that group. Um, yeah, and, and tolerated the very naughty Jeremy Hitchin, who was always <laughs> telling rude jokes. We could never have Jeremy on a Christmas podcast because he would, <laughs> he would offend the nation. I think. Yes, that's true. Let's never do that. No. All right. Deal. Your your seat is safe. Tell. Oh, lovely. Thank you. <laughs> uh, what What other bits of beast have you got for us, Dickie? Well, I, I don't know. Is soup particularly festive? I suppose. Do you have a, a turkey soup on Boxing Day? We, we do that sometimes. Yeah, so sometimes. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. We've got some more here. Yeah. Uh, Simon Allen again, who says stingray soup, which takes 30 minutes to make, but on an emergency goes down well. <laughs> uh, five more XR5 soup, a really spicy soup with a shocking blue colour made by Venus. Captain Scarlet Soup, a wide spectrum of coloured vegetables with some green onion rings to garnish. Yeah, like it. Thunderbird nice. Soup, of course, contains four ingredients which are liked and one that's barely mentioned, and has a mock alligator flavour. <laughs> what I mean? The Secret Service Soup, a bowl that no one will understand what you're talking about. At the Investigator Soup, you'll need to investigate what's in the soup and who uses a garnish of Maltesers anyway. Oh, wow. Oh, Malta. Malta. I think that's the connection. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got to know your stuff, haven't you? You do. Uh, Space 1999 Soup. Halfway through the soup, the flavour will change and the colour will be bright orange. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Or there's, of course, Terry, you'll appreciate this one, the Terror Hawk Soup, a twist on a brown Windsor with granite crunchies and a suspicious-looking croutons. Right, yes, definitely. Definitely. Uh, But, finally, uh, Lavender Castle Soup, another weird concoction with a hint of dank juice and the aroma of lavender. Wow. (laughs) Lavender and dank soup. What a a delicious combo. Yeah, I mean, that, there are plenty more, but I'm, I'm going to leave it there for now. I think yeah, that's yeah, maybe yeah, full. I think, about you. Yeah. the most niche set of uh, puns that we've yes. had uh, yes, or, exactly. or odd concoctions. But thank you, Simon. Yes. <laughs> right. yes, Goodness yes, me. Uh, any less soupy things out there? 
Well, we could head on over to Twitter where people have been hashtagging us Jerry Anderson Podcast and tagging me, Richard N. James, and uh, him over there, I'm Jamie Anderson, and him over there in the corner. Oh, look, he's hanging them up. He's hanging oh, them up by the fireplace. Your legs Let me heavy. get me leg out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let me get me yeah, leg yeah, out, yeah. Chris. Um, I am. Oh, oh, Terry's crazy. hopping uh, around all over the place. Oh, that's yeah. it, yeah. At, that's at Chris Dalek. And of course, Terry, you're on Twitter too. What's your What's your Twitter handle to share with the nation? Uh, yes, it's uh, Terry Adler. I think it is. Yeah, just that. It's, it's, yeah. For example, Jonathan Spencer tweeted, I was so chuffed to receive a shout-out on the Jerry Anderson podcast. Thank you so much, Jamie and Richard. You've made my day. Oh, oh very easily pleased. Yeah. Shout-out number two there. Um, yeah. Again, Tom Hodden tweeted to say, I have to say Jamie Anderson has been a wonderfully good sport on his podcast, given that I have been enabling Richard's quick fire fives. And he says, please support Mr. A's charity appeal for young people's puppet theatre. Yeah. Uh, tell us about that, Jamie. Yeah. Well, the, the bit of fundraising, the pre-Christmas fundraiser is over, and I'm mm-hmm. very pleased to say that uh, Ander fans from across the globe uh, bandied together and helped us reach a £10,000 target as part of the big give. Uh, Amazing. The, the charity goes into schools, and basically, it's normally in un- under sort of uh, deprived areas, underperforming areas around the country, and supports kids uh, to create and put on their very own puppet show but they they do it from scratch mm. you know, they choose the story uh, then they build the sets they build the puppets uh, they paint them up they make the costumes they do the performance and it's just amazing to see what happens because kids who might have been considered bullies become supporters and all-round positive influences in the classroom and kids who struggle to communicate suddenly become yeah. stage managers and producers or are doing the voices yeah. um, and kids who maybe struggle to focus suddenly are sat there for weeks on end through their um, their art lessons just making a costume focusing on sewing and painting the stuff and they they all get something out of it it's always different but uh, mm. yeah it's an amazingly effective program and i've been a trustee for um, i think four years uh, and yeah. will continue to to be so as long as they'll have me but uh, if you want to find out more about them just search uh, yppt or youth puppets uh, I think they're youthpuppets.org.uk. If you'd like to make a Christmas donation, as a sort of by way of a thank you to all things, uh, all things Jerry Anderson, then we'd really appreciate it, and I'm sure they will yeah. too. Lovely. And nice is that idea. all types of puppets, Jamie? You know, marionettes, uh, Muppet types, just style, just or... strung puppets is their main thing. They do. Right. They are starting to do smaller, shorter programs where you can make anything from a as lowly as a toilet roll puppet. Right. And you use the core. Uh, just the tube to create a quick puppet in an hour right through to the more advanced strung ones we might be doing some stuff with them next year uh, publicly so you could go along and make your own but uh, they actually do make their own puppet kits too so if you are very late on Christmas but or or looking to make up for a a missed opportunity a forgotten Christmas present after Christmas then uh, go and pick up one of their puppet kits too what Jamie's saying is he's forgotten my Christmas present (laughs) Richard you said you wanted a, a, a make your own puppet kit but you didn't want it to arrive until after Christmas. Yeah, you're right. I'd be, I'd be very happy with that. You're right. Hearing about all these presents does, does make me feel a bit sad. Oh? Yeah, because, you know, when I was younger, mm. we didn't have a, a lot of money. Mm. I, I used to get presents, like I used to get a pack of batteries with a note saying, toy not included. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's hard. When that's I was hard. young, I didn't believe in Santa anyway, oh. Father Christmas. Right. Yeah, I was a rebel without a clause. Uh, right. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> oh, there's the sound oh, of a here. thousand face palms. Come there, on, you can't, you can't moan at that. Oh, that's no, why he's I, here. I, I'm not moaning. I just, you know, he paints no. it's such a sad, a sad image yeah. of a. We were so we were Christmas so slough. so poor. We couldn't afford a turkey. Yeah. So we bought the budgie chest expanders <laughs> and hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Back on oh, Twitter. Jerry. Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, Dickie says, uh, having a Jerry Anderson evening with Thunderbird, Stingray and Terror Hawks, which sounds fantastic. Uh, Vicky said, to my number one podcast of 2021, the Jerry Anderson Randomizer. Thank you for keeping Whoa. me company on Spotify all year long. Well done, Chris. Yeah, that's good. Well, hang on, Vicky, because Chris will be here any moment now. But quickly, another couple. Paul Cornell, who you might know of as a writer with Doctor oh, Who yes. and other things. Oh, right. Um, tweeted i've been lucky enough to get hold of this amazing book the new moonbase alpha technical manual which is a jerry anderson fan's dream beautifully put yeah and finally john freeman said model maker martin boer or bauer i suppose he's selling both prints yep and original designs from some of the projects he's either created from scratch or worked on and here's a couple of fireball xl5 artworks and he posted a link on twitter so uh, search for that it may have gone by now or it might still be for sale if you're lucky yeah. There you go. That's all on Twitter for now. Very uh, nice. Just hashtag us Jerry Anderson Podcast and uh, I'll read out some more next time. There are Excellent. many more tweets on Twitter. In fact, you'll find oh, yeah, it's full of are. them, strangely. Yeah. Not all of them pertaining to the Jerry Anderson Podcast. No, but most of them. Oh, yeah, he's probably right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, probably right. Uh, I look forward to your return to Twitter next time. Uh, now, yeah. I can see Chris is, oh. is sort of gesturing towards the stockings. Yes, in the sort yes. of we should open them way. Yes. So, oh, right. yes. do you think we should open them while he does yeah. the randomizer, and then we can discuss our lovely gifts from him once the randomizer yeah. is done? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks in advance, Chris. I'm sure what you've got us is lovely. Although I did see a lot of coal going into mine. Um, mm-hmm. So Chris is here every week with the randomizer. He is the randomizer, the randomizer general, the archbishop randomizer, and in fact the randomizer Christmas fairy as well. He has a big red button on an amazing machine called the randomizer. He's going to press it and he's going to pick a random episode of a random Jerry Anson episode or film, and uh, we'll see what happens. So uh, hmm. Merry Christmas, randomizer! Off you go, Chris. <laughs> Another Christmas is upon us. Kind of wish I'd arranged to spend it with somebody, actually. Still, never mind, it's you and me as always, Marina. Although, I can't say I really fancy doing much for the randomizer for Christmas, actually. Hey, you know what I'm in the mood to do, though? Let's just watch a film this week. Are you up for that? Okay, well, have you got any suggestions for a film we can watch this week? Oh, you've already got the Blu-ray out. Okay, what's that? Die Hard. Uh, yes, a couple of points there, Marina. Firstly, I've never actually seen Die Hard, but secondly, I know there's a bit of a debate around the issue of whether or not it actually is a Christmas film. And third, you know, it's the Jerry Anderson podcast. It kind of really needs to be a Jerry Anderson movie, I'm afraid. So, uh, no Die Hard for you, no Muppet Christmas Carol for me. We've got to pick a Jerry Anderson movie to watch over the festive period, and, uh, let's see what we've got here. Uh, Crossroads to Crime? Do you fancy Crossroads to Crime this Christmas? No? Well, can't say I blame you. Uh, how about uh, Thunderbird 6? No Thunderbird 6, eh? Well, that only really leaves one last film on our shelf here. Are you happy with this one? Okay, well, as our Christmas special for the randomizer this week and next week, we will be watching Doppelganger, aka Journey to the Far Side of the Sun. Oh, yes, Marina, and then we can watch Die Hard afterwards. I must say I'm a bit surprised that that's one of your favourite films. <laughs> So, welcome to the randomizer, if you will, Doppelganger, aka Journey to the Far Side of the Sun, aka the last Jerry and Sylvia Anderson film. And we open with a lovely shot of this uh, Eurosec base in Portugal. 
it's one of those model shots that they were getting really good at with the um, the movies where it almost looks like real life. And inside we find... Good evening, Sergeant. Herbert Lom. And uh, George Mikkel. File 7842. Authority, please. They're checking in to uh, look at some files or some records or something. Herbert Lom at the time, of course, was uh, well known on British television for well, not 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 just British television, but uh, around the world, but uh, particularly well known to British television viewers for his role in the Human Jungle, ABC, uh, a psychology drama. He was a psychologist, uh, Doctor Corder, I think. That's a nice shot of him uh, removing his pen. Well, now my plan is ruined. From the X-ray machine. It's not a pen at all. It's a Secret camera. Well, better luck next time, Doctor. <laughs> See, he's joking about the fact that he could have taken a secret camera. He's not going to take a secret camera in there. Not, not, um, oh, this is Dr. Hassler, isn't it? And, and I keep going to call him Dr. Corder because of the human jungle. The other guy checks out clear. Heading into Vault 9. And this is quite an elaborate set for, uh, for a room we'll never see again with characters that we're not really going to see much of throughout the movie it's an odd place to start the film but it does uh, set up a rather effective reveal regarding uh, old Herbert Lom here now we shall see what shall we see well he's studying all these papers very closely lots of numbers for Operation Sun Probe that is it's it's fun to see that that in this film because it's it's a name that you associate so much with Thunderbirds. It would be like I don't know if they were doing a Project Cloudbase or something. It's just it's so unique to that series. But here it is. My mistake. You were right. Top secret information on Operation Sunprobe, which presumably went better in this universe than uh, it did in the Thunderbirds universe. So, these two gentlemen have uh, apparently disagreed about something, but it's all been resolved now. But was this part of some secret plot? Because Herbert Lom is now in his dark room, taking off his dark jacket to do dark deeds. Firstly, pulling out his eyeball, and even though it's... Uh, oh, I, I hate eyeball-related stuff in, uh, in films, but... Uh, Thankfully, this isn't too gory. In fact, it's not gory at all because the eye is very clean. It's just... Oh, the horrible idea that he had that eye, his real eye surgically removed to uh, make way for this camera. With, of course... Film inside of what he was looking at in the... Uh, in Vault 9. And now we're going to see... The whole process of the development of film. Again, it's an odd choice to uh, to open your film with a film developing sequence, but uh, again, it's suitably dramatic. I think Barry Gray's music is doing a lot to uh, to lift it here. I think in sequences like this, you can just sort of let Barry take over, and uh, I'm, I'm sure with any other composer, this would probably have been deathly dull. Oh, this music is just gorgeous. The whole score for this film is gorgeous. This is a very nice looking and sounding film all the way along. And, uh, yep, the score is just one of the many things I'm going to rave about because, well, this is my only chance this week and next week and my only chance to talk about Doppelganger, so I don't want to miss a thing. Got lots to cover here. 
course, he can attach the eye to a projector, give himself a little show. Look at all that top-secret information in more detail. And, uh... Yeah, signed Jason Webb. Oh, sorts of secret plans. And, uh... We go from the flashing of the eye into the flashing of the opening titles, which I'm not going to talk over because I need to save time by not playing the music, and also, I want to listen to the music. Okay, I have to talk a little bit over the opening titles. This music is gorgeous, but also, I think the, the visuals here are are aping a lot from Joe 90, the opening titles of Joe 90, just lots of computer activity. Again, this is, I think, in some way related to the plot, but uh, mostly it's just something nice and pretty to look at. And again, we have this teletype printer being used here, which again would be part of the opening titles of UFO. And I like how prominently as well, Jerry and Sylvia's names are being presented there. It's nice. For the last time on the big screen. Yeah. That's a little premature, isn't it? You haven't won yet. You want a bet? Yeah. 3,000 million pounds. <laughs> and that's the introduction to two of our three main characters. Everything's fine. Although, really, despite the fact that, depending on what version of the film you watch, either Roy Thinnis or Ian Hendry get top billing, I think, and I've always felt, this is Patrick Wymark's film, and he just steals every scene he's in. Sure. He's only got a hundred yards to walk. And Patrick Weimark is one of those things I'm going to be talking about extensively during the course of this randomizer because uh, I'll let you in on a little secret. I think he's absolutely marvellous. And he's holding a meeting. Gentlemen, gentlemen, please. With all sorts of representatives of the international scene. This is a momentous occasion for our organisation. Sun Probe 1 was an unqualified success. We had some... <laughs> Said no one in the Thunderbirds universe. This meeting is called to consider one single result, startling in its implications. Dr. John Kane. And all of these people that they're talking to in, in various locations around the world, they're clearly just... I think they're actually sat on the set for real with just a, a screen between them and the uh, uh, Weimark and Hendry in the other room. Set to take one picture a minute for the duration of the flight. Roll the film, please. The far side of the sun, over 100 million miles from Earth. Let's go on a journey there. The eyes of radio telescopes by the sun itself. Now, at this point in the flight, a strange thing happened. The gyro mechanisms aboard were influenced by another magnetic field. Now, if you watch your screens carefully, you'll see that the capsule cine camera was panned off the sun towards the force that was attracting it. That force, gentlemen, was the gravitational pull of another planet. Oh, there it is. I'm going to hold the film here to show you the first complete photographic evidence of a new planet. A new planet in our solar system. Uh, doesn't look much like Earth from a distance, which is surprising. But of course it can't be to, uh, to give a, a sense of mystery to the first half of the film. Instruments aboard the capsule report that it is in the same orbit as Earth, but directly on the opposite side of the Sun. Orbital speed, precisely the same as ours, is the reason it has remained undetected. What information do we have from the other systems on board? Not enough. Which brings me to the purpose of this meeting. Money. Yes, lots of money. Right, so, Patrick Weimark, and the reason he is in this film. Lisa, book me a scramble satellite call to NASA headquarters. Uh, there's Ed Bishop. We like Ed Bishop. It's already in hand, David. How come? Instruction from Jason Webb. 
Yes, Patrick Wymark was at this time most famous for, again, he was a very familiar face in British uh, film and television at the time, but he was most famous for playing the role of Sir John Wilder in, uh, firstly, the series The Plane Makers, which was about an aircraft uh, manufacturing plant, and then boardroom drama The Power Game. And I, you know what, This this is my Christmas present to you. A recommendation, the highest possible recommendation I can give, go and watch The Power Game. Because not only is it a brilliant series in its own right, um, you will see a lot of influence on this film and also UFO. Um, yeah, Weimark was eventually the, the star of the show. Um, John Wilder was this scheming, plotting, ruthless, much like Jason Webb here is in this film. And he's, it's just a masterpiece of... Uh, of a character only too glad to agree this relatively small man strutting around offices yelling at people america's our only hope hatching plots and counterplots and counterplots to plots that hadn't been hatched yet and oh it's just so good and i know that jerry and sylvia were fans of the show so that's why he's here that's why you see a lot of um kind of human drama subplots that really go nowhere in this film because you can't really you know you can have running threads in a television series you can't really have them in a film and have them you're gonna sit there go all that far and watch me take a man for one billion dollars the words of an egotistical megalomaniac maniac i'll have you know i played sir john wilder for six years when one of your rockets blows up on the pad and you better attend to that cardiac warning and that's a line i find fairly ominous because i I believe within a year or two of this weimark was dead i'll make a deal with you and i think it was a heart condition i think it was a heart attack you stick to the science brought on by in part politics an awful lot of drink stick to the science if you handle the politics and speaking of a lot of drink, we have... Uh, yeah, I don't want to go into to too much of that, but, uh, yeah, both Patrick Weimark and uh, Ian Hendry, quite uh, quite fond of the old... Uh, quite fond of the old booze. And Ian Hendry, I find, is an actor who... He's either really great to watch, or there are times when he just can't be bothered, or he's a bit distracted, or he looks kind of ill. In this film... Straight. I think he's... He's really trying to get to grips with the material. I, I don't think he quite... attack fits a sci-fi-ish setting. Okay, Jason, it's no go. Also, although he is one of the stars of the film, he's not really as prominent as the character could be. In our own solar system. He works better as a leading man than a sort of supporting character, which is really what he plays here. We ask our friends for a few dollars, and it's no go. One billion dollars, Jason. Cheap at twice the price. Sure about this? Yes, give it to Jason tonight. But I suppose it's not his fault that Patrick Weimark is just acting everybody else off the screen and chewing the scenery left and right. You wouldn't want anybody else to get there first, would you? And going back to the power game and the plane makers, it's it's also worth a look, um, not only for how it influences this film and UFO, but also you see a lot of actors from that show turn up here and in UFO. Case in point, uh, Norma Ronald was... Weimark's secretary, Miss Lingard, in The Plane Makers, and then in The Power Game, and now she's here playing Weimark's secretary in this, and then she'll go on to be Ed Straker's secretary in UFO. So, 
we just look at her and think, oh yeah, Miss Eland UFO. But no, it started with the plane makers. Tell Newman and Lisa I want to see them at 7.30. Yes, Mr. Webb. And also uh, several other actors from, from the plane makers and the power gang that are in this film are uh, George Sewell and uh, Philip Maddock, among many, many others. So yeah, it's, it's the last time I'll mention the power game. Just go and watch the power game. That's my Christmas present to you, that recommendation. Even though... You didn't get me anything for Christmas. And it's fine. You know, I just... I mean, there's still a few days, maybe. Maybe by the time this goes out, maybe someone will have given me something. But uh, at the moment, all we have is uh, John Kane's resignation letter. Which makes Webb very unhappy. And uh, yes, we're uh, on location in Portugal. This is where everybody lives in this film. Eurosec headquarters and launch facilities are in Portugal. And I'm sure it's nothing to do with the fact that the Andersons enjoyed holidaying there. Mm. We've housed all findings, computer programs, and visual data from Sun Probe 1 in Vault 2. Access? Restricted. Yes, this is Webb now is getting reports from security chief Mark Newman, played by George Sewell, and... Near certainty of a security leak re splashed out. Lisa Hartman, who... We picked up radio signals again this morning and got a bearing. Also, I'm not entirely clear on what her job is before she becomes designated love interest for the film. Transmission. Mm. And there are 86,400 seconds in a day. Ah. All right. You made your point. So, there you go. Now you know. That access restriction must be widened. To whom? Hassler. Dr. Hassler. You're serving up information on a plate to our prime suspect. Not entirely sure how they got on to the fact that uh, Herbert Lom is... Responsibility is this. ...is the security leak. He shows his hand. I don't want an arrest. Ooh. Understood. And again, that's the first sign... Understood. ...in the Anderson universe, which, something which would be carried on through UFO, is um, an organisation that really is not accountable to, to the law and uh, takes their own security into their own hands in very brutal ways. I, I'm not entirely sure where that that idea comes from, and yet it's oddly fitting from this for, for this um, the Anderson world, which has generally been quite hopeful and optimistic. Then we get this darkness in with Captain Scarlet, and then we get this kind of thing in in this film and, and UFO. This um, you know we can just kill off our operatives if we think they're 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 naughty chaps. And uh, I think there is also a bit of a, a homage to Psycho through this scene as well. But, uh, yeah, Newman has shot Hassler. And he's dead. Very dead. This is cool, though. Oh, and they get... It's amazing. Drop an olive into one glass, drop an olive into another glass, drop Hassler's eye. A new planet could be known outside Europe in the States. Into a glass. And it lands pointing straight at the camera. Shortly be underway by somebody else. Well, don't panic. It would take some time. Yes, we'd have to check out your information, examine Hassler's body, see the transmissions you monitored, check the manufacturing origins of... They were monitoring transmissions. That's how they found out. After Mr. Poulsen immediately... And put John Kane in the picture. And here we get a, a crucial uh, moment in Anderson history. Oh, can I have another look at the uh, photographic equipment? Ed Bishop and George Sewell working together. Does our side have anything like this? We have now. And that moment is apparently ad-libbed on set 
by those two actors. That back to Kane, will you? Tell him I accept his apologies. So yeah, not only is is the power game a huge influence on this film and UFO, this film is also an influence on on UFO. It just keeps having this knock-on effect. Now there has been a leak. Yes, and I'm left with no choice. I agree. It'll be up to you to persuade the rest of the community. But uh, I believe Ed Bishop wasn't originally going to be in this film. His role was originally cast and shot with uh, Peter Dinley, voice of Jeff Tracy. Full information sharing. Guaranteed. And then it was felt that uh, Dinley and Weimark just looked too similar for it to really work. An American astronaut on the team. I've already called Cape Kennedy. I can see the resemblance, certainly, but the voices are completely different. I don't think it would have been a problem, considering that uh, Poulsen isn't in the film much. Glenn Ross. Ah, yes. Here comes Glenn Ross to head the uh, mission to the new planet. Arriving on... uh, on an aircraft that I can't decide if I love the idea of this or if I detest it, if it's sort of Anderson in excess. Um, This uh, space shuttle plane thing is landed and instead of just letting the passengers walk off and maybe take a bus to the terminal, a lorry has to drive up to take the passenger cabin of the plane as if it's like a Thunderbird 2 pod and wheel that over to the hangar. Again, it's like... It's a nice idea. It looks very futuristic, but it also kind of feels just a bit, a bit overkill. I don't know how an how an air industry would uh, sustain this long term, but uh, oh, it does look pretty, and it does look very, very near future sci-fi, and that's uh, something I think this film nails quite well. And here he is. This is Ross. Oh, there she is. That's uh, thank you, Colonel Lynn Loring, as uh, Mrs. Ross. Roy Thinnis is Colonel Ross, and I believe they were married in real life at the time. Ross, my wife Sharon. How do you do? Hello. Oh, Sharon, that's right. This is Lisa Hartman, security. How do you do? Hello. Ross, she'll be your love interest later in the film. Kane, our project director. How do you do? He'll be going with you to another planet. Paolo Landi, public relations. And he'll be misbehaving off camera, so his subplot will be cut entirely from the film. We'll still cast him in UFO anyway, but he won't be there very long. Yay, it's party time at Jason Webb's house. And my goodness, what a lot of extras. Got to be getting on for about 80 people in this room. Oh, I also notice, up the back, Lynn, uh, Lynn Loring's Sharon Ross was chatting to a group of gentlemen, still is, one of whom is uh, John Kelly, who who will turn up again later in the film as a Euroset guy, but was also Lieutenant Masters in UFO. I've been thinking, John, about the second astronaut to Captain Ross. Those are words you don't want to hear come out of a Patrick Weimark character's mouth. I've been thinking always ends in uh, but in you having to make some kind of sacrifice. We need someone more flexible. <laughs> I love the way his mouth moved there. Flexible. Someone who could take full advantage of any findings on the new planet, however bizarre and unusual they happen to be. You mean an astrophysicist? Me? I doesn't appeal to you. You <laughs> must be joking. To grow on you. Again, there's something uh, great with uh, Weimark's character, whether here or uh, as Wilder. It's just, I've got an idea. You're going to do it. And there's no way out of it for you. You're going to love it. And uh, again, as well, uh, part of the fun of, of John Wilder in the power game was sometimes watching his insanely complex schemes come undone. Uh, and I think it's a similar sort of thing in this film. 
ultimately, a lot of the the problems that occur later on are kind of indirectly the result of Webb rushing and pushing and you know, he's trying his best to cope with the strange situation that he finds himself in. False country. Commendably for the character, he doesn't sort of cut himself off from the recommendations of scientists and experts, but he does sort of he is still sort of we've got to get there first. And this is this is gonna be our discovery. We don't want these Americans uh, sort of getting their noses in. And some lovely integration of live action and model work here as the uh, rockets assemble. When does training start? Tomorrow. I can hardly wait. And I, I, yeah, I get the feeling with Roy Thinnes, at least in the early part of the film, he's, he, he doesn't really want to be there. I get the feeling though that could be more the character having been sort of thrown into this weird situation. Because by the end of the film, he is far more, far more driven and, and quite rightly uh, carries the story. But yes, we're having medical tests now. Glenn Ross is, is doing all right, but John Kane is struggling a bit. 400, 450, 500. I'm wondering if that's David Healy dubbing that extra. It sounds a lot like him. 650, 700. Also in that room, we have uh, Philip Maddock as Dr. Pontini. Hardy, 750, and uh, Basil Moss as a technician. Later played Dr. Fraser in UFO. 850! Now, retros! Now. It's nice to, uh, to to see actors who would go on to get very, other small roles in UFO, like Basil Moss here and like John Kelly. Okay. I don't know, it's... it's I can only imagine that they were really nice people because their roles in this film are so minor... You know, no, I don't. I can't imagine anyone was thinking going into UFO. Oh yeah, let's get the guy who said retros to to play a doctor in four episodes of the show. Anyway, back at uh, the Ross's pad, Sharon is returning because she's had a night out with uh, um oh the public relations guy pa Paolo Landi. Yeah, we briefly saw his head at the wheel of the car. That's the last time we see him. Drove into Lisbon to see the cathedral. Because, again, this is another removed subplot that uh, she's having a, an affair with Paolo. I could sleep for a week. I think there's also a deleted scene where Ross comes home, finds them together and throws them both in the swimming pool. Uh, I don't think the scene survives, but I have seen a photo of, uh, of uh, Lynn Loring halfway into the pool. And speaking of water, it's now shower time, which I gather caused some... Uh, some controversy among the censors back in the day. I had my first medical today. Well, maybe she has another shower later on, and uh, there's something to do with a, a silhouette of her body through the, the shower door or something. Good. Everything's all right. We're not starting that one again. And here's a good example of what I was saying earlier about subplots that don't go anywhere. In space, hundreds of days. You're subjected to radiation effects, and that's why we can't have children. Yes. In in a television series, you could have this as a subplot of you know, marital problems, or we can't have kids, oh, she's lying, or whatever. Blah, blah, blah. Here, it's just given... Great publicity. What, 45 seconds, and then it's over? America's top astronaut. Sterile. So really, all it does for the film is, hey, look, these miserable people are miserable. 
Your doctors don't work for politicians, so we know it's not you. For God's sakes, I'm not about to go through this again. The brutal truth of the matter is that you went up there a man, but you came back less than a man. Nobody says that about my sperm. And here it comes. Maybe this is why we're not having kids, huh? Femina, oral contraceptive. If you have anything to say, you better say it now. Is that how you prove your virility? Oh dear, not good. Yeah, again, I think this is the Andersons trying for the kind of thing they've seen in the power game and not really quite getting how or why it works. They know they've got to have some kind of of um, sort of marital strife drama, um, but they don't quite know how to integrate it into a film particularly. A way of attracting your attention. Certainly that kind of thing works much better in, in UFO. Again, that's only really two episodes, Question of Priorities and Confetti Check A-OK, but it, it's so... It's so much more believable there because really it was just like that's the one scene where their marital problems, well, specifically the uh, baby having problems, get mentioned. That's tough enough for me, but it's hell for John. It's a crash course in space preparation. Anyway, Ross and Lisa are now at, well, Harlington Straker Studios. We recognize this lobby, don't we? I know why Jason wants to see you. And they're both wearing costumes that would later turn up in UFO as well. It's basically. I don't think anything was wasted after this film. Well, we'll see about that. Costumes, locations, actors, props, models, it's all in there. Thanks for the warning. Even music. I'm forwarding the launching date, four weeks. You're pushing too hard, Jason. I know more about human nature than anybody else at Jurassic. That's why I'm in this office. Wearing this tuxedo for some reason that I don't have to explain to you in this scene. I am informing you officially that the launching date will be brought forward. Two weeks. Ah. Okay. Two weeks. Yeah, he's happy with that. Again, it's another sort of slightly... I'm going to keep mentioning the power game because it's Patrick Wymark and it's, it's the reason why he's here. But again, it comes to... We've seen political drama. We know this is this is good stuff. We like this. Um, how do we make it work within the show? Or we'll just mention off-screen budgetary troubles. Anywho, Ross and Kane are... Well, they've parachuted out of a plane and now they're going to walk home. And surely this is a vital part of their training to land on another planet. Please tell me there's a little bit of transportation around here somewhere. Don't the rules say we walk? Sure. Hmm. Ah, they found a donkey. In the back of a cart to ride in. What's it like up there? Lonely. How lonely? Same as down here. No difference. You mean you've got to have someone with you down here, up there? Yeah, it's got to be the right person, though. Otherwise, it makes no difference. No difference. I do like that scene. Also, the fact that they made such good time getting back to the uh, map painting of the base. This is the part we have to make look good. We're back uncomfortably early. And while I can't say that um, Hendry and Thinnis exactly you know, light up the screen with their, uh, their relationship here. Oh, that looks nasty, those uh, input sockets into their wrists. Yeah, it's, an, it's a nice rapport. I could go attached to them. And that's the idea. They could have been better, but there was potentially worse. It's an odd pairing, but it seems to work quite well. And I like the um, the fact that that's kind of reflected in their conversation there, sort of having the right person along, whether it's back on Earth or with them in the in the capsule. And Philip Maddock is uh, 
yeah, Philip Maddock does not seem happy to be here. <laughs> he's you can normally tell when he's enjoying a part, and uh, I think because it's he's not playing a villain, he's not playing much he can get his teeth into, so he's sort of got that look of uh, well, he's just sort of glaring at people. Whenever they say anything in this film, he always just glares at them. Oh, and there it is, the rocket being revealed to the world with suitably appropriate music because it's absolutely beautiful and we have a mission control room here banks of uh, computers and several familiar faces we're going to cover those as we see them and there's one Keith Alexander aka Keith Ford aka Sam Luver and there's another one. Jeremy Wilkin. AKA, you know what, there's too many too many names to pull up there. No T-wave depression. Because I think that's him doing the voice of that medical technician there as well. You hear his voice a few times in other places throughout this film. Lift off now minus six hours, fifty-one minutes. And it was nice as well. I think the Andersons cast uh, Wilkin and Alexander because it was like we need reliable, clear understandable, professional sounding voices. We know these two guys already. Let's get them in there. We trust them. And it works. It's not the biggest role in the world but um, pre-flight checks in four minutes. Was that Gary Files? Astronauts, pre-flight checks in four minutes. Oh, could have been. There's, there's moments as well in this film, yeah, where you hear familiar voices and you're not entirely sure because you don't see the, the faces. But, uh, again, it's it's a nice sort of culmination of all of the the people they've been working with through the 60s and rewarding them in little ways. No, I mean it. She loves him? Yeah, because he's Roy Thinnis and he's just so manly. Oh, and, of course, Thinnis was... Uh, was a, f a familiar face to sci-fi fans of this era for starring in The Invaders. Capsule from launch control, switch to external. Tell that guy next to you to put his cigarette out. Oh no, they did that at this time in Mission Control, didn't they? Isn't there footage of like some of the Apollo missions and half of them are smoking? There it is, a shadow jeep. And the uh, UFO shadow spacesuits. I think we're expected. Painted red, and uh, I believe Roy, uh, no not Roy, Ian Hendry would wear one of these again uh, later in a, a short-lived television series The Adventures of Don Quick which I've never seen but I've seen the, a photo of a cover of a I think TV Times magazine where he's wearing this spacesuit holding a, a helmet under his arm and now we are making our way up to the nose cone in the lift Again, shows how how far the effects have come from just a few years earlier, where there's a similar scene in Sun Probe, and the capsule going up the side of the the rocket gantry doesn't really convince in the way that this does. But obviously, they had a lot more money to throw at this, and Jason Webb is up there to see them off, see them on their way, give them a friendly word of encouragement, or just glare at them and bark orders. Jason? Oh. Yes. Hendry clearly doesn't want to go. You can see that in the expression on his face. There's a bit of uh, unspoken resentment, I suppose, for uh, for Webb forcing him to go on this mission. Liftoff, now minus one hour, 26 minutes. 
Countdown continues. And also in the bunker, Flight control, Colonel Ross. another, oh actually a couple of familiar faces uh, coming up here, doing medical checks on our two astronauts who are now sealed in the capsule. We have, um, oh, I think this is Peter Burton, one of them, who is Dr. Murray in a couple of episodes of... UFO, I want to say Computer Affair and Ordeal. He was also the original uh, quartermaster in the James Bond films in uh, Doctor No. But even more famous, beside him, and he's not going to turn up on the screen now that I'm talking about him. Come on. Come on. Cabin pressure seems a little bit low. This is being checked right now. Medical one to flight control. Here we go. Pulse 74. Blood pressure normal. Yeah, that's Burton. And who's this? Medical two to flight control. Dr. Kane. Pulse 110. Blood pressure raised 150 over 100. Respiration normal. It's only Nicholas Courtney. It's only the Brigadier from Doctor Who. There's, there's someone who should have made more than one appearance in the Anderson universe, really. But I suppose he would have been busy with other things. You know, there was that whole Doctor Who thing, playing the Brigadier, I suppose. We can let him off. Speaking absolute nonsense. Affirmative. Kind of redundant and filling out time. Affirmative. All recorders and a telegraph to it's getting very tense. And they're getting very sweaty. Brigadier is watching uh, Kane's heart rate go uh, all bloopity bloopity. Six, five, four. Here comes the music. Two, one, ignition. And here is easily the greatest rocket launch in in Anderson history. Because, as you probably heard before, it's a well-known story, but they shot this launch outside against the real sky and it just looks beautiful and there's some amazing effects shots throughout the Anderson universe there's some amazing vehicle launches but I think the fact that you know this is real it just adds so much and they had, I think they'd shot against the real sky on one shot in Thunderbird 6. I think as one of the lift bodies explodes, that's against the real sky. But uh, this is so ambitious and it, uh, it really pays off. It just looks lovely. And now as the control center staff watch the rocket, we close in on Wymark. All his dreams come true. He's going to be the first to get his men to this new planet. Oh, it's so beautiful. Oh, I feel quite emotional. Hello? Movie? Is it broken? What? Oh, oh, right, okay. That was a that was a long sorry I was starting to get worried there I thought something had broken uh, yeah that was a long hold on black well she flies <sighs> of course she bloody well flies we're on our way no need for that language this is a family podcast that's how you can tell we're on the big screen now oh you wouldn't hear Joe ninety saying something like that ah. <sighs> 
and here it comes the uh, the lovely sleeping astronauts theme again heard in UFO but um, composed for this film and uh, far better associated with this film as they uh, oh this is something I hate I, I, this makes me a bit squeamish as well they've got these little ports on their wrists two ports on each wrist to plug life support equipment into and the computer it seems to be working their blood for them the, their blood just flows out of their bodies and into the computer it's a bit gross but I think Thinnis has got his wires tangled there that's probably not safe anyway as they settle down for bed this is where we will leave doppelganger for this week but we shall be back next week for the second half of doppelganger aka journey to the far side of the sun even though i'm watching journey to the far side of the sun because that's the only cut that's available on blu-ray but hey ho see you all next week sleep tight boys see you in three weeks Let's hope the alarm clock goes off. And better, you made it. Well, I guess that means it's um, part two next week. Not that I really yeah. care, to be honest. So What? Well, oh. I emptied out my stocking. and um, Yeah? What have you got? You ha- Oh, you have got. You've got coal of you. Yeah, <laughs> I've got nine, nine bits of coal and a box nine of matches. Nine bits of coal. Wow. Well, so, I mean, I've got this amazing thanks, book here. Oh. Uh that there it is uh richard james my life in art oh good isn't it featuring uh richard james's many appearances on tv film and uh on stage amazing. Amazing. i look forward to reading that uh, That's it, it's written by uh, richard james richard, yeah. Yeah, yeah well oh, in biro oh, by oh, the look of it it's just one copy only <laughs> oh, isn't well, it? oh well anyway yeah yeah, yeah. Well, well, i'm just just gonna open mine yeah Oh, what is oh, it? Oh, Chris. What is it? Chris, it's the perfect stocking filler. Yeah? It's my leg. Oh, you got your leg back? Yeah. Oh. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> His generosity yeah. knows no bounds, apparently. Thanks, well, Chris. Yeah, didn't we do well there? Well, we it's did. Nice, we did right. So, no, all say, that he, and only yeah. half a randomizer. Yes. Because he's I coming back he's from, from Doppelganger next week. Yeah, Goodness but actually, I can me. see that uh, over by the fireplace there, he's putting out like, a little plate of mince pies and a little glass of uh, a glass of sherry uh, for Father Christmas. So, yeah, oh, that's nice. That's... I might scoff that on the way out, actually. <clears throat> yeah, you might as well get don't something you? out of this. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks, Chris. And don't forget, Chris, you know, sort of COVID rules. Oh, yeah. Put out some sanitizer for you. Right. Yeah. San- sanitizer? Yes. Yeah. Oh. And some mince Pfizer's. Right. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Other vaccines are available. I mean, this is current stuff. This is contemporary, isn't it? It's amazing. Yeah. It's topical. It really is. It's not it, funny, but it's topical. It's, <laughs> it's amazing how he's managed to cross those two things. Uh, well, all of that means that we all are slightly yeah. disappointed with Chris Dale and that uh, yes. he'll be back with the same thing next week because it's part two. So it won't be random. It'll just be more of the same, but the rest of it. Yeah. So, yeah. fair enough. That's good. Something yeah. predictable about uh, our, our in-betweenness uh, episode yeah. next week. That's right, exactly. Um, yeah. Now, before we go, uh, I think the last word should go to Simon Allen with a few more soups. Oh, really? Yeah. Yep. Uh, I've got full now. <laughs> yeah, I've had quite a few of them. Yeah. Well, no, no, come on, come on, force these down. For example, he suggests the new Captain Scarlet soup, which is a symphony of flavours for you to dip your crisp in. Uh, <laughs> the GFI soup. This recipe will never see the light of day. Hmm. Mm. 
All right. Uh, uh, candy and Andy soup. Sorry, we don't pander to requests for this soup. Uh, and finally, and perhaps my favourite, the podcast soup. Oh, yes. May seem a little watery and uninteresting at times, <laughs> but does contain meat and some corn. Oh, very good. That's uh, probably... I mean, I'd have mine with added cheese, I think. Yes. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Well, it's probably one of the fairest reviews we've had, I think. Yeah, uh, that's true. Thanks, Simon, for that. uh, Thank you for all those, Simon. Goodness me. Well... I'm impressed, Simon. Very good. uh, There you go. You've got the stamp of approval from Terry. Can't ask for more than that. Uh, Well, maybe less. So, uh, (laughs) I hope you've all enjoyed this Christmas edition of uh, our Terry Christmas Jerry Anderson podcast. Have you enjoyed it, Richard and Terry? Oh, well, I've had a I fantastic have, time. I have. I, I, I've, I've loved the, the soup. The soup? Soup song. Soup went down yeah, well. It went yeah. down very well. Yeah. In nice. fact, yeah. um, <clears throat> I, I, my favourite is turkey soup. Oh, yes. Christmas turkey soup. Yeah, of course. It's got yeah. a lot of stuffing. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's got a lot Wow. Is that the, you know, I think we might invite you back in the great. new year, Jamie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Really? I, well, thought, I thought you were going to say next oh. Christmas. We need at least a year to recover. But okay, fine. <laughs> Terry, would you like to come back for our New Year's edition? No, I couldn't think of anything better at oh. the moment, but I might. No, no, I'd love to. Yeah, love okay, to. Fine. Well, we'll see yeah. you, uh, Terry, in 2022, which is. Indeed, yeah. uh, but we'll be back next week. Nearly half past ten. For our in between us edition. Oh, you can't beat a time a time gag like that. Thanks, Tal. <laughs> no, you really can't. So we hope you have a fantastic Christmas, whatever you're doing, uh, wherever you are in the world. We hope you have a fantastic Christmas day and uh, some time off and you eat and drink and be merry, uh, not to excess. Uh, no, don't be merry to excess, for goodness sake. Oh. Uh, we hope you get everything you uh, you wanted for Christmas and uh, we'll see you on the other side for in between us. Yeah. See you then. Yeah. Merry Christmas, everyone. Bye. 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 One complete. Let's go. So, Terry, normally we do a bit of post-podcast bants yeah. here. How do yeah. you feel about that? Yeah, fine. fine. I mean, we're doing it now. no idea what we're no, doing. No, <laughs> make it up as we go along. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, this is literally it. You, oh, this is it. This, oh, this is, is it. it. We're doing it now. So, go on, make something up. Okay, I'll make something up. Uh, let me think. There's a lot of jokes I didn't. I didn't manage to do. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. They're topical. Oh, well, are they? Yeah, Go on, yeah. let's hear it. Why, 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 why don't you drop in your, your top three topical jokes for, for anyone who listens to the I don't think it's got three, Top one okay. topical joke. Okay, why did Rudolph's nose have to be self-isolated? Because mm. he failed the lateral glow test. Oh. <laughs> wow, that's yeah. genius. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, something, isn't it? Any, yeah. any more yeah. where that came from? Yeah, uh, which vaccine did the... Wise men have. Which vaccine did the wise men have? Oh. I don't know. The wiser jab. The wiser oh. jab. Other jabs are available. I mean, he's got it all, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah. Are these in a book somewhere, Terry? Hey, they should be. <laughs>
It's kind of like that feeling you get when you've had your Christmas dinner. Yeah, and you just you don't want no more. And you're, you're bloated on the sofa. Yeah, the Queen's on. Yeah, and you're just dozing into a sherry fueled sleep. That's right. This is that's terry the sort of fueled. effect you're having. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and you know that's why Christmas dinner is good for vegans this year. Oh yeah, yeah. Why is that? Because the turkey's on the red list, but the vegetables all green. Hey. <gasps> <sighs> I, can we go, I, I can really can feel my Terry fueled sleep coming on. So thanks, Terry. That's that's quite enough of that. Uh, Terry Christmas, yeah. everyone. Terry, Terry Christmas. Christmas. Terry Christmas. You have been listening to the Jerry Anderson podcast. Wasn't it fun? You have been listening to an Anderson Entertainment production. <laughs>